Well, good morning again. Uh, this morning we're wrapping up a mini-series we've been doing at ResPres to start off the year. We're calling it the Book of Life, and it's just an, a, been a time to intentionally look at what God's Word says about God's Word. So we've been looking at passages in the Bible that speak about the Bible, and this morning we're coming to one of the most often quoted ones about the Bible from Hebrews chapter 4, a really powerful passage about the Word of God. And uh, just as an intro before I read it, um, Hebrews is a book that's written to Christians from a Jewish background uh, that are considering walking away from Jesus because it's too hard. Uh, they live in a time where they face persecution for believing, and so it's a book uh, that is exhorting these Christians, these Hebrew Christians, uh, to endure, to remain faithful, and to trust in God. And this passage in particular is referring them back to the story from Numbers chapter 14 that we just read about uh, Israel in the wilderness. So when it talks about uh, them in this passage, it's referring back to those Israelites in the wilderness. So let me read our word for us, and then we'll take some time to examine it. Uh, please stand as we read. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today if you, harden, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, as we come now to your word, uh, we come from many places. Some of us come encouraged and some discouraged. Some of us come in faith and others in doubt, uh, not, sharing, not sure what we believe. And uh, we come uh, from so many places and yet... This is a living word, and so we pray that you would meet us where we are. Would you change us and make us different? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, so the college semester has not yet started at UT, and it's January 22nd already. It starts tomorrow, and I was, I've, I've done college ministry for many, many years, and I was reflecting on how I had so many conversations with students 
about just like the weirdness of the college calendar and uh, you know, college starts off in the fall, and then there's all this excitement, and, and then, you know, the semester wears on and becomes more intense, and it ends with this frenzy of exams, and everyone's trying to catch up, and I, in college ministry, had so many conversations with students near the end of the semester, exams are coming up, and they would say things like, I just need to get to Tuesday, you know, like that last exam, and then I'll be free, you know. And the break is really long, so you kind of are, but then you have to start back up. And the same thing happens where you say, I just need to get to Wednesday, and then my life will be so much better. And there's all these kind of like false finish lines where you do get a little rest, but then you got to start right back up. And life is really like that. There's all these milestones and finish lines that we try to get to and want to get to, and we do get to, and uh, they don't ever provide the rest that we're looking for. There's always something else coming. Many of us face trials in life, and it kind of feels like you kind of get through one challenge, one trial, one stage, and then something else difficult comes. And life is like that. It goes on and on with different sets of trials and finish lines, and yet we long for the ultimate finish line, don't we? we long, the reason we long for rest is because we were made for rest. This passage talks about God creating on the seventh day, uh, and on the seventh day resting and delighting in his creation, and even building a seventh day of rest into the calendar for his people so that we would look forward to an ultimate rest to come, Uh, the rest that we were made for, eternal rest uh, with that feeling of finally, everything is set. I'm free We were made for that. And the hope that this passage offers and that the Bible offers is that there will be an end to everything bad. There will be an end to every trial, every struggle of this life. There is an end to come. There is an eternal rest. And remember that this is a passage written to Christians that are considering bailing on Jesus. They're in a hard situation, and the, the temptation to bail is real for these Christians, and they're tempted to revert back to Judaism, because in Judaism, at least you can kind of, like, control things a little bit, and, you know, it's a little less, you know, like, I'm trusting in someone risen from the dead that I can't even see, and that kind of thing, and so the temptation is to just give up. The temptation is find an easier way than trusting Jesus. And to these Christians, and to us, the author of Hebrews, we're not sure who that is, but the author of Hebrews offers an encouragement and a warning. And the encouragement is, there is a rest coming. You better believe there's a rest coming. We wouldn't long for it if it wasn't coming. But then there's a warning as well, which is, you can miss it. The message of this section of Hebrews is that it's possible to actually be really close and still miss out on that ultimate rest you were made for. Uh, Even people in and around the promises of God, even people who hear the good news can harden their hearts toward him and miss out on that eternal rest that we were made for. And we face a similar situation, right? A similar temptation, which is to backslide into something a little more manageable than believing everything God says. 
a little more manageable than living all of life in light of what God has said, whatever the cost, right? Don't we all kind of want the more manageable form of Christianity, like where we can retain veto power and not just take everything from the Bible as is from God, uh, where we want to find other sources of security besides the promises of God. So there's a sobering warning in this passage to us, which is that that's a disastrous approach to the Word of God. And so what I want to look for in this passage is two postures toward the Word of God that this passage, that the book of Hebrews would push us towards. And those two postures toward the Word of God are reverent urgency and diligent examination. So first of all, I want to look at reverent urgency. And the very first thing said in this passage is, let us fear. It says, let us, in verse 1, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach the rest. Uh, when I, I was remembering this week that when I, I grew up in New Jersey, and when I turned 16, I could get my driver's permit. And I got my permit at the soonest possible moment. The day I turned 16, went out and I had done like driver's training practice, and uh, that night uh, I got my permit, and that night my dad came home from work, and we went out driving around my town, and I can still remember I was on Cross Road turning onto Maple Avenue, first day driving with my dad, and I'm turning left, and there's a car coming from my left with its right blinker on, and I see that right blinker, and I go, and that car did not slow down, and thankfully missed, had to swerve, but there was horn honking and slamming on the brakes, and I turned to my dad, and I said, he had his blinker on. And my dad, who was a very good driving uh, teacher, actually calmly said, well, he did have his blinker on, you're right, but in that situation, you gotta just make sure they're also slowing down and turning, because sometimes people forget they have their blinker on or something like that. that was like 23 years ago, and every time I turn left, I think of that moment. Like, I'm turning on the Kingston Pike, and I'm thinking about 23 years ago, uh, because it just, you know, it was this moment where the, there was real fear kind of driven into me. And uh, I want remember that these are Christians, the audience of this book, Hebrews, are Christians that are tempted to give up. They're tempted to go back. And to this audience, the author of Hebrews takes them back, and he's quoting in this section Psalm 95 in chapter 3 and 4. And Psalm 95 is this psalm that was quoted in every synagogue service at the time. So we had a call to worship this morning from Psalm 95, and that was the call to worship at every synagogue service, that call to worship that says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And that would call the people back to these stories of the wilderness when God's people did harden their hearts. The first time was in Exodus chapter 17 where they put God to the test. God had rescued them from Egypt, but then they grumbled because they were thirsty. And they put God to the test and God provided water from the rock. And, you know, he'd rescued them and all... It didn't take long for bitterness to develop in their hearts. And then in Numbers chapter 14, which we read earlier, uh, is the story of how they get to the promised land. Through, through, they get, get out of Egypt, they go to the promised land, they send spies in to spy it out, and they say it's a good land, but the people are giants, 
and archaeological evidence confirms today that there were actually very large humans living in the promised land. And so the people of God said, no, we're not going to go. The people there are giant. They're too big. And then in response to that, God says, okay, well, then I'm going to take your kids in. You all will die out here, and I'll take your children in. So this generation that saw the exodus and that ate manna in the wilderness and that God made water come out of the rock for did not get to go into the promised land. And, and they tried to go in afterward. They said, okay, we will go in. And God said, it's too late. And when they went in, God wasn't with them, and it was a disaster. Okay? They didn't take God at his word because their hearts were hardened toward him. These are people, it says, that heard the good news. These are people that saw God like enact plagues on the people of Egypt and part the Red Sea, and yet their hearts became hard toward God. And if you think that this group would be any different, well, we wouldn't. Like, it's a picture of what we are like. You know, sometimes we kind of drift away from God a little bit, and it's hard to come back. You know, it starts out kind of slow, and then it kind of progresses, and our hearts can harden toward, it's like faith can kind of leak out of us over time. You know, maybe you can relate. Maybe you used to care more. Like, if you can think back on your own history of faith, and you can think, man, I used to actually care a little bit more, and it's kind of hard to muster up, like, the delight in God's Word that I once had. Maybe you're kind of ignoring God more. Uh, there's some questions that a commentator uh, listed out that I think are helpful. He says, do we display a deeper concern for the counsel of others now than for God's word? Does an attitude of unbelief characterize our lives? Does the presence of giants in the land cause us to disbelieve the promises of God? Does our disposition display a quickness to grumble and complain about our circumstances as Israel did. And the author of Hebrews would have us remember that when we hear God's word, we're interacting with God himself. We're hearing exactly what God wants us to know. Uh, so there's this urgency then to listening to God. There's an urgency to putting his word at the forefront of your life because we have this tendency toward hard-heartedness. So I want to ask you this morning, where are you with God's word? You know, sometimes we have stages of life where we think, you know, I don't really have the time. You know, there will be a time when I will have more time, and then I'll take it more seriously. I've got time now, though. And I would just respectfully say, no, you don't. You don't. What's on the line here is nothing less than the life we were made for, the life we yearn for in the deepest recesses of our being. And there have been a lot of people like those Israelites that kind of thought they were in, thought they were okay, thought they were like kind of believing and weren't. So this passage calls us then to reverent urgency as we approach God's word. But the other thing it calls us to is diligent examination. And so the second instruction in this passage then, besides let us fear, is let us strive to enter that rest. All right, it's active 
Uh, it's like, let's spur one another on toward belief. We really just got to go for it. Like, we got to move toward God in whatever way we can. And this is why, for instance, we would do a sermon series on the Bible at church. Uh, this is why we read the Bible on our own. This is why we just, you know, we have Bible studies throughout the week. We want our kids to grow up reading the Bible. I mean, if you think about it, it's kind of weird that we would gather each week and read the same book unless it was a living word. Unless it was truly, the, unless that it's the word of God, it doesn't make any sense to just read the same book over and over and over again. And every Sunday, Christians around the word, world gather around this word, and it's because it's living. It's active. Uh, it will protect us from falling away, this passage says, by cutting us. You know, this is a book that shows ourselves to us. It shows us what's really true. It shows us how we resist the truth. Maybe you've ever, maybe you've read the Bible at some point and thought to yourself, man, like, I feel like that just hit me right where I am. And the reason that is, the reason that happens is because it's a living word and it knows you. It's, it's the word of the God who made you. And the word can keep us because it's surgical. Uh, notice how it says, I don't know if you notice this in verses 12 and 13, that oft-quoted passage about the word, where it says, the word is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword, piercing to the uh, division of soul and of spirit and joints and marrow and discerning thoughts and intentions, and no creature is hidden from his sight. And if you read that, you think, well, is it talking about like the Bible or is it talking about God? Because it says his, and the answer is yes. Because when you read the Bible, you are interacting with God himself. To come to the word then is to be exposed as in being in the presence of a God who sees it all. It's to be confronted then with all your shortcomings, with all your flaws. You know, sometimes we stay away from God's word for a while, you know, it's just how you know, we works. You know, we wander from the truth and we stay away from a while. We resist coming into his presence. Sometimes we're kind of hearing it, but we don't really apply it to ourselves. You know, sometimes Brent's up here preaching, making some incisive point, and we sit there thinking, like, I hope my spouse is listening to this. <laughs> or wish my brother-in-law were here. As if... It had no application to me. You know, I don't, that's not my issue. That's someone else's issue, okay? Sometimes uh, we resist interacting with the word as if it's for us. Some, and, and then you can actually start to believe, like, that you're a pretty good person. You can, you can think, like, yeah, that doesn't really, I'm kind of past that already. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. And the reality is we're just so far from that. Like, if you look at the word, we are all so messed up. Like, if you actually knew how messed up you were, you would just implode because it's just too much to handle. You know, just think about God's presence. Think about all you've done. And then think about the things you've thought about doing. And think about the God who sees it all. And you think a holy God's going to be like, yeah, you're doing pretty good. <laughs> great. Yeah, doing great. When you come to the Word, 
you see what loving someone actually entails, and we don't even come close to that. We love ourselves. And think about the God who sees it all. And specifically, he sees how much you don't trust him, even though he's only good. So then why would anyone come? If that's what it's like to come to the Word, if that's what the Word does, why would anyone come? And I would suggest to you this morning that someone would come for the same reason that someone would get an x-ray or an MRI and have surgery. That they long to be well. That they long for the rest that they're not finding here. I was reading this week about the preventative screenings, x-rays, MRIs, things like that. Uh, as you get older, the more of those kind of exist for you. And uh, there's a lot of people that avoid preventative medical screenings, kind of the routine ones. And uh, the most common culprits are young to middle-aged men. So I feel like I understand the psychology of it a little bit. And you know, these screenings that are required to stay healthy, some of them are pretty invasive. Uh, some of them are exposing, you know, and there's a little bit of embarrassment that comes with some of these screenings. And then the other part of it is, well, what if they find something? You know, what if I get this screening and it means, like, I have cancer? I have something bad, and I would kind of rather just live in blissful ignorance than have that, which is a deeply illogical approach, but it's still what we do, okay? Unlike an x-ray or an MRI, the word doesn't just expose us. It exposes a God who has love for the faithless. It exposes a God who loves faithless people who in their folly run from him instead of to him in their sickness of sin. It exposes a God who cuts only to heal. It exposes a God that you just need to listen to. You need to listen to this God because you're just not okay without him. There's no rest without him. And so what Hebrews goes on to talk about then is how Jesus came as the Son of God. And he came specifically as a great high priest, uh, the book of Hebrews says. And if you know what a priest is, a priest is someone who mediates a relationship between God and the people. So in ancient Israel, they had priests that would mediate that relationship between God and the people. And there was one called the high priest. There was one high priest, and the high priest was in charge of the day of atonement, going into the presence of God on behalf of the people and making atonement for the sins of the people. And there were all kinds of preparations. You had to wash yourself. You had to put on the holy linen garment. And then there were all these animals lined up as sacrifices. And so when you think of a priest, you really need to think of someone covered in blood. Priests in the Bible were men that had blood under their fingernails because they were always working with blood to make atonement for the sins of God's people. And the problem with the high priest is that he was one of the people. Like, he had to make atonement for himself before he could go into the presence of God, and he had to go in year after year after year, and there wasn't security in that like there is 
in a great high priest. So Jesus comes as both priest and sacrifice. He really gets cut. He gets cut off. He's covered in blood as he dies in our place, which is, by the way, what it means to be a Christian. You know, sometimes I'll talk with people uh, exploring faith or new believers, and I'll say, well, what is a Christian? What do you think a Christian is? And almost without fail, they'll say to me, uh, someone who believes in Jesus, and I'll say, well, that's true. A Christian is someone who believes in Jesus, but you just told me what a Christian does, and I asked you what a Christian is. And what a Christian is, is someone for whom Jesus has died. It's someone for whom the blood of Jesus counts. If Jesus has died in your place, then when you get exposed, when you get cut, it's only a healing cut. It's only for your good. He wouldn't pay such a cost if he didn't want to preserve you if he didn't want to draw you in and bring you into his rest. So I want you to think again about all your stuff, the things you've done, the things you've thought about doing. Jesus wants you. He's not ashamed of you. So listen to him. Hang on his every word, uh, because where else are you going to get that? If you need help believing, tell someone. We can push each other toward the rest. We can help each other to believe. But the bottom line is that Jesus came for big sinners. And because he came for big sinners, you need to bank everything on him. There's a rest ahead, and in the meantime, run to the word. Let me pray for us. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you come in grace to pursue sinners, and we pray that we would have hearts that long for your word. Would you help us as we tend toward hardness of heart? Would you soften our hearts? Would you draw us nearer? Would you develop in us as a church a love for your word, a reverence for your word, uh, that we would pursue it with diligence? We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.